podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. We all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent, the next a chef, or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge. For every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. Hello, welcome to the Five Pound Podcast. Hey. Pod four thirty-two. It's our second of our summer pods to fill that gap between no Crystal Palace. Although the new season is not too far away at all, a month away, I think, or just under a month away. Um, plenty to talk about on this episode because we're going to be picking who we think is Mister Crystal Palace, and we'll be debating numerous players and trying to decide at the end of the podcast who we think deserves that title from the history of crystal palace football club uh joining me to do that i have jack pierce jack hello to you hey jd yeah good excited for this more kind of academic debate compared to the brutal draft system that we deployed last time so yeah yes brutal i think my thinking cap more on this one i think good 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 uh also joining us kevin day is here kevin hello how are you well, it's 102 degrees in the shade and i've got really bad hay fever so how do you think i am did, uh, did you did you say it's the second one of the summer yeah yes that's awkward uh, um we yeah. did in the last time it was uh don was with us and don uh-huh. wanted to be with us again this time but he wasn't yeah. available so I, all right so uh, i'm only doing this one because don one is so oh, I, didn't, I didn't even know about the first one and i'm only doing this one because dominic wasn't available you say also joining us jd senior <laughs> is here as well was on the last one oh, thank god for that uh how are you i'm very well thank you very much good to have you back on um also we couldn't replace Dom with just one. We've got two FYP legends uh, to fill his gap. Um, Adam Sells is also here. Selsy, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm very happy to make up the second part of the Kevin Day combination. <laughs> so it'll be like Martin Kelly and Jeffrey Schluck today. <laughs> two underrated we, players. We, we can do a job anywhere. Don't worry, Jay. If you need us at the Edinburgh Fringe, we'll be there. It's fine. It's no problem. I might Make sure you mention the Edinburgh Fringe because you haven't talked about it for three seconds. <laughs> Do you know what? I will, actually, because I was going to crowbar it in, but actually you've given me a beautiful chance to do that. Please come and see me at the Edinburgh Fringe, 4.30pm every day at the Grass Market Centre. Uh, the show's called Jim Daly Football and Fatherhood. It's about football and fatherhood. Um, it's pay what you want, or you can pre-book a ticket for £5. I'm there every day from the 4th till the 28th of August. Tickets available at edfringe.com. So it'd be lovely to see you there if you are someone that does frequent the Fringe um, every year, apart from the last two years. Um, let's do a... Shout out to a random patron. Hey. Roll, please. It's Mr. Daniel Bimson. Hey, Daniel. Hey, Daniel. 
Hi, Daniel. Thanks for joining our Patreon. You can get all sorts of things uh, on the Patreon, including post-match podcasts. Uh, we're doing a few sort of mid-season transfer things at the moment as well. Patreon-only merchandise and access to the Patreon-only Discord club, which is popping off at the moment um, at patreon.com slash podcast. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash podcast. Let's crack on with Mr. Crystal Palace. Before we do that, let's talk briefly about two signings that have been confirmed since we did the last pod. Malcolm Eberway from Derby for a compensation package, I believe. And also Sam Johnson, the West Brom keeper, joining on a free, I believe. Um, let's talk about Johnson quickly. Adam, you'll know him very well indeed, being the provider of his fingerware. Um, this is a good signing for Palace, isn't it? Yeah, I think they um, took a view that it was an opportunity that they shouldn't miss, really, JD. I think the thought process was... Vicente's uh, 35, he's got a year left and a, and a further option that would take him up to sort of 37. Sam's coming into his peak years at 29 now. Um, he's an England goalkeeper, he's free. And probably in the marketplace at the moment, his salary would be heavy, but not ridiculously heavy. So I think it made good sense all round for them to... To, to take up the opportunity for the next four years. And um, we're going to have a very competitive situation with the uh, with the goalkeepers, although I did warn him over dinner on Tuesday night that the other fella doesn't make many mistakes. So he Is he definitely back up, you reckon, Selzy? No, not, not definitely, but I think... I think it would be very harsh probably on the other fellow if he started at this point. But um, I think he, he knows he's coming into a competitive situation. Let's put it that way. I don't right. think he's been told, you know, you're our number one goal and you're going to play every week and all that sort of stuff. So, no, I don't, I don't, uh, I think he, you know, he, the as I said when I was last on with JD, that Vicente's, level of consistency last year was amazing really I think he played 30 30 just 30 or 31 games or something in the Premier League and I don't think he gave away a bad goal in those games the best anyone's come up with is the Brighton game with the kick in the last minute but having seen that back the ball was still 20 yards inside the opposition's half so a lot of things still had to happen for the ball to end up back in the net so I think if that's the worst mistake you make in a season, then your level of consistency is pretty incredible. And I think it would be an interesting interesting situation. Sam is technically very good, very good with his feet, very quick around the goal. And uh, I spoke to Dino a couple of nights ago, who said he'd sort of shown up well so far in the first period. So I, I think... Um, I think he, he'll he be a very good signing, I would imagine. And we've got a very strong department there for sure. Definitely makes things more competitive, which is obviously the way forward for a Premier League squad. Um, Kevin, Malcolm Eberway from Derby. Uh, following the trend of Palace dipping into the championship and getting these talented players, looks like another one on the uh, conveyor belt there. He has an interesting one. A, a, a mate of mine is a Derby County season ticket holder who says... Uh, raves about him. Uh, says he's not sure whether he's quite ready for the Premier League, but he's big, strong, fast. I'd, I'd be interested to see whether 
uh, he'd get straight in the first team score because there's again there's a lot of competition in the in the area he plays. But it's it's interesting that we're clearly uh, our scouting system or whatever they call it these days is is finding these these players because we've got two from Derby now, and I think it's it's a, a good source. I and mean, we've got Elise from Reading who clearly was ready for the Premier League, but um, Patrick sort of nursed him through the first half of the season, which I guess will happen with Abui, but potentially, yeah, a really good player for, for not very much money. So we've, the two people we've bought in so far have cost us very little. It's been a good start to the window. We're, we're hoping they might add uh, Chet Decore to it, but uh, nothing's been confirmed yet. But if they do, I think that's heading into another decent window for Palace. Um, let's move on then to... Trying to work out who is Mr. Crystal Palace. Jack, we're going to come to you first. We're not going to reveal everyone's picks yet. We'll get through them, and then at the end, we'll do maybe a little roundup. Before you tell us your pick, do you want to tell us why you've picked him and why you think that makes him Mr. Crystal Palace? Because I think people listening, and maybe on this panel now, will have different ideas of what makes someone, quote-unquote, Mr. Crystal Palace. Yeah, so t- I-, I had a, a short list and, and realised that I... To speak about them, I really wanted to select a player that I'd seen their whole Palace career with perhaps maturer eyes, so not someone from my childhood as as I could have gone with. But I went with um, someone who I've seen their development from kind of youth player, their debut through to the first team. And the fact that's coincided with what is the most sustained period of top flight football in the club's history means that for me, he's, he's very much a candidate um, for the title of Mr. Crystal Palace. So um, yeah, I, I went for uh, Dazit Wilfred Armel Zaha to give him his, uh, his full name. Lovely. Um, and uh, yeah, for me, he, he encapsulates everything that's good about the football club um, and everything that's good uh, about the current situation for the football club. So um, yeah, he, he's my choice. And I just think um the high quality performance that he puts in week in week out um, is is just brilliant. He's he's matured into a very very high quality Premier League footballer, and uh, I find it astounding the grief that he gets from the wider football community, but actually sometimes from within the Palace fan base itself. So I, I think he's a, a wonderful player, and I don't think he'll be fully appreciated until he leaves the club or his career comes to an end. Um, I, I just think statistically, you know, he backs it up with with his output. That's improving year on year. Um, but just his presence in the in and around the club is, is brilliant. And um, I very much hope he does sign another contract um, so we can have him for even longer I don't know what the likelihood of that is but you know should he leave at the end of this contract next summer he'll leave having already played for Palace around 450 times um he could be approaching 100 goals for the club um but it's more so the fact that he's been such a key influence in that sustained period of top flight football um and it's probably fair to say you know statistically I don't know if this would be backed up but I think we all as Palace uh, fans would appreciate without Wilf it's quite possible that this sustained period of top flight football would not have been as sustained as it has been I think at times he very much was the outlet he very much was the threat at the top end of the pitch um, and he carried that burden well and he's played for an array of different managers 
done the job that he's been asked to do while still displaying the flair and skill that that he possesses. Um, I think he's growing into a, a different type of player now. And I actually see him, whatever he does for the rest of his career, um, kind of following the, the trend of Cristiano Ronaldo, not to the, perhaps the same mega stardom or the same mega standard, but that kind of transition from wide player into a more central figure. And we've seen it with his goal output and the way he's able to manipulate centre-backs uh, more and more with the strength that he's built up over the years. Um, I, I could see him playing centrally. Um, hopefully it's in red and blue of Crystal Palace, but who knows? But that's uh, that's my nominee for Mr. Crystal Palace, Wilfred Zaha. Very strong first nominee. And I think there'll be a lot of people listening who will be agreeing with that. I mean, he encapsulates so much that's great about being from South London, about being Crystal Palace, the work he does for the foundation, purely being that showing younger players that pathway from the Crystal Palace Academy into top flight football is very, very important. Uh, JD Senior, what are your thoughts on uh, on Wilf as Mr. Crystal Palace? Yeah, I, 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 I understand Jack's uh, arguments. I think they're very strong. Uh, but it's, for me, it's a definition, definition of what is Mr. Crystal Palace. And I realise immediately that I think of it somewhat differently the way Jack does. But I think Wilf is one of the, the long-term players who basically only played for this club, um, but definitely being in the, in the top three among the Mr. Crap, Mr. Crystal Palace players. Yeah. Um, Adam, you obviously know uh, Wilf quite well. You worked with him when he was younger. Um, I know you're not voting for him now as Mr. Crystal Palace, but surely he'd be up there for you, given Jack's uh, debate there. Well, he was a, he was one of my split choices, and I think Jack was the first time I've ever seen Jack in the uh, in the flesh, so to speak. We're on a Zoom call anyway, but uh, he sport in a rather impressive Julian Speroni like uh, beard <laughs> that I never knew that he had. First, even with the little patches as well, so he'd be. Uh, I'm impressed. First of I'd all, I'd like to but, say I uh, add them. I, I say I add those uh, those patches right. just for Jules' tribute. But uh, no, unfortunately not. Well, it's all right. If it's any consolation, Jack, Sam and Remy were convinced I'm dyeing my hair the other night because I'm not <laughs> got any greys yet at 52. But uh, and and Botox as well. Apparently, I'm having. But uh, wow. yeah, I'm not that vain for anyone that is questioning their judgment. <laughs> but uh, and. Uh, I would say, Jack, also that you should consider becoming a barrister if you're not already, because the way you put your case forward so eloquently and impressively without uh, a single pause was, you know, at least at least uh, radio DJ standard, I'd say, you know. So <laughs> that um, quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, no, I'll just... Uh, he, uh, Wilfred, someone obviously I know very well and I'd be very biased, but if you're talking about the fact that, A, he's a local boy and lived a stone's throw away from Selhurst, his ability to perform on a very high level on the most consistent basis, and this has coincided with the most successful spell in the club's history in terms of we're now entering a, a tenth year in the Premier League, and he's obviously been a huge contributor in getting there in the first place, one, and then keeping us there for eight of those seasons. Although some would argue that his performance for Cardiff in the first season when we played them down there also contributed to our... Uh, a very fair point. Yeah, but, very uh, fair point. Yes, uh, but no, I mean, he, he for me, is the, the greatest player in the, in the history of Crystal Palace in terms of what anybody's brought to the, to the team and the club 
in that respect. And I think, obviously, from a fan's perspective, they can identify very much with somebody who's one of those kids from the local streets who playing for his local team and what he's done for Palace. And, you know, I can remember this young lad, really, and I, I sort of, when I see Wilfred, we sort of laugh about some of these things that went on in his early days where when he first came into our youth team, he actually lacked, and this might surprise you, like quite a lot of confidence and he didn't really express himself properly. And I would be at him all of the time before the games, telling him what he would be capable of and how he would do it. And those big eyes of his, that I remember one incident when we, when we were playing Fulham at Mottsburg Park and uh, those big eyes of his, like cartoon eyes, came out on sticks at me when I was going through all the players in the team and talking. And I said, and you, Wilfred, you're going to play in our first team by the end of the season. And the old eyes popped out of his head and he actually came up to me as we were walking onto the pit saying, did you really mean that? <laughs> it was, uh, but to, to see him sort of blossom into the talent he's become has been, you know, absolutely fantastic. And seeing him from being a little boy into that, I think it, it probably makes me feel old because there are now lots of lads like Wayne Routledge and people like that are actually now retired, Ben Watson and people that were first in those youth team squads at that, you know, at that previous period. But Wilfred, yeah, I think in terms of a contribution to Crystal Palace overall, you know, there, there's little that anyone can do to argue that Jack doesn't have a very valid case. The new season is nearly upon us, so you may be planning a new pre-match routine before Palace games get underway. Well, now might also be the time for you to try a new shaving routine. And Harry's can help you with that because they have an offer for FYP listeners, a free trial shave set and free face wash. All you've got to do is pay the £3.95 for postage at harrys.com slash FYP. Harry's believes that a pre-shave routine is just as crucial as a pre-match routine and they're here to help you revamp yours with a trial set and face wash. Okay, here's the science bit. Excess oil and dead skin cells build up over time and exfoliating all of that away from your face before you shave means you're less likely to suffer from ingrowns and breakouts. Uh, much, like the way Palace, much like the way Palace exfoliated the Deadwood last summer from their squad. Sorry, guys. Using a gentle cleanser leaves the skin feeling refreshed and the hair soft, making your shave feel smoother than before. You'll be as smooth as an Eberé Eze dribble. <laughs> That's pretty smooth. The trial set has everything you need to revamp your shave routine, including an expertly engineered weighted handle, a five-blade cartridge that's made in Germany, no less complete with precision trimmer, giving you a shave that's as clean as a Michael Elise cross, a handy foaming shave gel, a travel blade cover, and a free face wash, just for FYP listeners. Skincare products can be added to shave plans anytime, anywhere, and all products are dermatologically tested and formulated by Harry's experts. Their skincare products are alcohol and cruelty-free, and they have an easy-to-follow instructions on their websites, so you'll know how to use them. 
take note palace's box office so if this sounds like something that would be good for you go to harrys.com slash fyp and just pay the £3.95 to have your set and face wash delivered and start your shave plan your freebie will be added at the checkout that's harrys.com slash fyp Kevin, let's come to you next because mm. um, you tell us tell us your choice in a minute. But before you do that, just give us your thoughts on Wilf because, um, as Jack said, a long stay player going to probably end up our second or third most appearance player at some point, depending on how long he stays at Palace. Definitely up there, isn't he, for Mister Crystal Palace? Yeah, by the nature of uh, this pod, we're all going to love each other's choices basically we're not going to really criticize each other's choices and and jack's quite right to to point out that the ex-man united and cardiff player (laughs) is a very important part of crystal palace football club no doubt but of course he's a brilliant player he's he's arguably i mean it's it's up there with ian wright as to who's the best striker this club's ever had he's been a talisman for us I, I quite agree with Jack. I don't think the the outside world of football really does appreciate you. You don't get the same uh, the same kudos from other fans. They they always go straight to the diving thing. And, and he's he's a, an underappreciated player. It's always a source of great regret that England managed him so badly because I think he would have been sixty or seventy caps for England quite easily. And of course, he'll always be a, he'll always be a Palace legend, but. I, I think if you talk about defining Mr. Crystal, Mr. Crystal Palace, I mean, surely the criteria is just somebody who's dedicated his entire career to the club, essentially. Not, not jump ship immediately. Yeah, and, 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 and try to get a new contract at another club for three years running. It's, you know, <laughs> we're talking about a player here, my choice, his whole career, 656 starts for Crystal Palace. If Wilf ends up on 450, he'll still be 200 behind this player. Uh, made his debut in 1973 at the end of the season scored in his first game against Chelsea thus ensuring our our only ever top flight London derby win uh, at the time and and of course I'm talking about Jim Cannon who was with us from 1972 to 1988 he was captain for 10 years captain for 10 years 1978-79 we conceded 24 goals we had clean sheets in half the games. Wow. And he was with us at times of great success. And he was with us mainly at times of failure. But he stayed at the club. He loved the club. You, you can't argue with, with 16 years. 16 years as a Palace player. Went for about eight or nine managers. None of them said he shouldn't be captain. He led that. Yeah, we all talk about the famous team of the team of the eighties, the young players. But he was there leading him and Billy Gilbert. I think arguably our best ever centre back pairing. So I, I don't think there's any any other real candidate. He played for us in three divisions. He's you know he's he's, he's magnificent footballer. No, it wasn't a brilliant footballer. Just to be perfectly fair, he was unlucky enough to play uh, at a time when Scotland had a lot of better centre backs than. Than him, but he was a one club man, devoted his entire entire career to Palace. And other clubs came in for him. It wasn't that he was a, a, a poor enough player that nobody wanted him. He was constantly being sought by other clubs, and he constantly turned them down because he was Mister Crystal Palace. 
It's a fantastic shout, of course, record appearance holder. And I think you're right. And a lot of people will be agreeing, listening, that someone who is Mr. Crystal Palace or Mr. Whatever Club tends to be a one-club man. And he's the only person on the list that is. Having said that, one-club men are incredibly rare. Even even back then, really, it's it's, it's an incredible feat. Uh, so it's very difficult to cobble together a whole list of one-club men. Wolf comes, does come well, very the, close the, to doing the, that. The mere, the mere fact that it's a very rare feat indicates <laughs> that he's right. the right man for job. I should also say I was touring with Phil Barber and Mark Bright, because I know he listens, so let's let's put Mark Bright in there yeah. as somebody who's who's dedicated the end of his career yes. as a player to Palace as well. So there, right. there, there are many people we could talk about. Steve Koppel, I think, might get a mention later on, who's definitely very, very high on the list. I always think if we ever do get a statue outside the ground, it should be of, of Steve Koppel, I would say, or of Wrighty and Brighty. But for, but for me, for Jim Kemp, for my generation, almost the, you know, 15 of the first 20 years I was watching Palace, Jim Cannon was there. And for 10 of those years, he was he was captain and scored the goal, for me, the best ever goal I've ever seen at, at Palace. The goal which took us to the top of Division 1 for the first and the last time. Uh, <laughs> no, the, Kev. No, no, Kev. No? There's a great chance that that might happen again in a few weeks' time. <laughs> that's, that's true. Well, at the moment Don't we are. Don't miss yeah, out yeah. the first time top of the Premier League. Yeah, yeah, fair point. Yeah, well, it won't be Jim Cannon scoring the goal, but he scored. Uh, it was a one-two with Vince Allaire. He, he knocked the ball. Volley, if I remember. It was. Right, yeah, he, yes. he got he got the ball at the edge of the box, knocked it to Vince Allaire, held it up, and knocked it through to him. Jim Cannon kept running, and he, he hit it on the half volley. Fantastic! Oh, no record of it at all. No, there's no, not no, not a camera in the place. So you'll have to take my word for it. But it was a fantastic goal oh, oh, from sorry. Mr. Crystal Palace. And <laughs> um, will we do win, that? I think four one. Yeah, yeah, four one yeah. win. Brilliant. Um, Adam, you, Adam, you look like you were about to raise your hand early doors. So, and I'm sure, obviously, you have memories of uh, of Jim Cannon as well. I was only raising my hand to say, after praising Jack accordingly for his. Uh, his perfect presentation that if Street's listening, he should do away with whoever he uses and just get Kevin and Jack on the firm if he needs a proper barrister. I'm open to that, Andy. <laughs> my, my last trip to court with a barrister was with a 28-year-old lad who was a Fulham fan who was old enough to be his dad, so it was a bit of a, bit of a challenge all round. But, um, but uh, on, on the Jim Cannon front, anyway, after my slight digression, yeah, somebody who, if you've been around a long time, I know two of you won't know him so well as as, as Kevin JD Senior, but somebody who contributed a lot to the fortunes of Crystal Palace, as Kev's alluded to there, and that spectacular goal against Ipswich in that four-one win that took us top lives long in the memory. I don't know if you can remember, Kev. I was at St Andrews in about nineteen eighty-six. And Palace beat Birmingham City 6-0. And Jim ended up marauding forward into the last few minutes and uh, bent one from the outside of his foot from the edge of the box into the top corner um, <clears throat> in some style that was uh, was also pretty memorable. I think Jim, you know, on the field was a, was a, a, a very, very big factor in in keeping the club together at that time. I wouldn't say that he was the warmest, friendliest fellow off the field that anyone had ever come across in that sense. He was quite forthright in his view and uh, would sort of stick to it 
you know, I'll well, see him now. It's not a personality contest, Adam. It's not a personality contest. No, 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 no. I'm otherwise, not, otherwise I'm, we know I'm, that Julian Julian's going to win it all, know, every exactly, time, isn't he? So. But, you know, <laughs> I noticed that you slipped those kind of things in on Jack about wanting to go to Man United <laughs> and playing for Cardiff and all that. So I thought it'd only be right as I put my case across further on. But no, he's, uh, he's someone I see regularly because he, in the lounge when we're eating before the games, he comes in and talks before the games and chats Palace. But He's uh, he's certainly somebody again, as Kevin's uh, put put together there, his case uh, very well that deserves the recognition, the most appearances for the club. I think six hundred and sixty games or something like that. You know, one club man, long, long time. You know, six hundred and fifty-six starts, four substitutes. Well, thank that's you, mad. So, that is someone's mad. been doing their homework, but anyway, I thought I was quite impressive knowing the six sixty without doing. Yeah, that. that's very good. But anyway. But never mind. Um, yeah, somebody who's who's also very worthy of uh, of legendary status where Crystal Palace are concerned. That stat, thirty five goals he scored as well. As I, I mean, it's very, that stat of what six fifty six starts from four subs is is incredibly impressive. And I think my career is the exact opposite. <laughs> <laughs> so that's, that's incredible. Um, JD Senior, no, no it doesn't count when you're taken off. <laughs> oh, that, okay, it's, not, that, it's not games where you end up <laughs> in that case I think it's six, 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 60 all one way um, JD Senior I'll come to you for your, your shout in a minute but just give us your thoughts on Jim Cannon because listening to the two guys there talk about him and, and the marauding forward and the goals it actually sounds like at that time 70s and 80s he was almost a, a, a very modern defender almost mm-hmm. quite ahead of his time I must say, I never thought of him as a modern defender at all. Uh, I was there for his his first game. I remember that clearly. Uh, I don't remember much the his latter years at the club because I was living overseas for a lot of that. Um, but yeah, I, I, he as I said, he was a one club man. He he only wanted to play for Crystal Palace. He was a very solid and reliable defender. Um, but no, I didn't ever think of him as a modern defender. You know, you, you sometimes say you have the sweeper and the blocker, but to me, he was most definitely the blocker. Yeah, so it's, it, it, it's an interesting one because there was there wasn't different types of defender in those days. You, you no, just I agree. You, you, the two centre backs, you occasionally like Billy Gilbert could play a, a bit of football, but their, their job wasn't to do that. Their job was to get the ball yeah. as far away from your goal as possible. You know, the fullbacks were always the worst player in the team. Centre centre backs were. I mean, Jim was brutal. I mean, he, he wouldn't have players like him wouldn't survive in the modern game. They'd be getting sent off. Yeah, but Warnock would have loved him. Warnock would have loved him. Warnock would have made definitely would have made him captain. He would have been one of his favourites. But yeah, I mean, there was one style of centre back then. You know, we tended not to in England play sweepers. That was dangerously continental. Yeah. Uh, basically, you had you had stoppers, and the choice was they were either Scottish or English. And, yes. Jim, and Jim Cannon, I think, was probably one of seven or eight Scots in that first Palace team when he came down. So. Oh, yes, you mean with uh, McLaughlin and yeah. uh, McCormick and McLaughlin. Yeah, and Queen and all those. That's right. Yeah, it was so the, the, um, the, in terms of appearances, as I said, Wilf could go third this year, but Wilf would have to play nearly seven full seasons extra it's to get to, close yeah. to get Jim Cannon. I mean, it's just yeah. an unbelievable career to play that many games and um, probably be hard-pushed to think how and what situation in modern football a player would get to that number of appearances in one career. So quite possible that Jim Cannon will have that 
forevermore. Yeah. Well, my, well also my, as well, you, you you had much smaller squads in those days as well. And, yeah. and you're, you're, yeah, there, there was only one substitute at the time and your first 11 tended to start every game, more or less. So the, the players could rack up the appearances much e- more easily than they they would do today. Players didn't get rested. and you know. But there, there were more games in the season as well because... We, yeah, we were mostly in the second division. It was twenty-four teams in the division, whereas yeah. now it's only twenty. Yeah. Has there been any other? Have we had at Palace any other one-club men? I'm actually struggling to think of any. Must have had a significant spell. Albert Harry, Albert Harry from ninety, whatever it is, twenty-seven to thirty-seven, or around about then. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Would have been yeah, would... in the early days. He probably. I mean, Phil Barber. Phil Barber went off to. Somewhere at Millwall. 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 Went to Millwall. Of course, he did. Yeah, mm. but it's rare. But I, I imagine in the first thirty years of our history, you'll yeah. probably find quite a few. But maybe since yeah. since Cannon, I was going to say Simon Roger, but he went to Brighton, didn't he? He went, he went to Brighton. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even Terry Long, I think, played somewhere else after he left us. But something like Orient. Yeah, David Payne JD, I was went gonna, to Orient I was, as well. Oh, JD, I was going to say to you that Jim, I think, was a was an underrated player by people from the outside, probably rather like a certain Scottish veteran in the current squad in that sense, you know, where probably people that see him every week really recognised his quality that may not have been so visual perhaps for those that weren't. And I particularly enjoyed his, uh, I saw an old edition of the big match from 1979, not so long ago. And, uh, I don't know if you ever see that, Kev, the big match we visited on ITV4 or anything, yeah. do you? I and, do, yeah. uh, After we beat Nottingham Forest 1-0 with Ian Walsh's uh, dribbler that went through Peter Shilton's legs and trickled over the line, he was interviewed by Brian Moore after the game, telling him that he thought Palace were going to win the first division that season. Unfortunately, I think we went to Liverpool very yeah. soon after and got slapped 3-0 and it all started to... Uh, fall apart thereafter, but uh, I love anyone with that positivity around Crystal Palace. John, JD Senior, Terry Long became coach at Palace after he ended his career here. So he played 470 appearances. Yeah, I knew it was was high 400s. Yeah. Yeah, so Wilf really is the closest we're going to get in a modern sense to one club manager. But he he famously left... He famously yeah, he did. Apparently, he did. <laughs> and um, he can't wait to get away again. Unbelievable. <laughs> we all take on different roles every day. One minute you're a parent, the next, a chef or a driver. That's why the Volvo XC40 Recharge is designed to be as versatile as you are. It's fully electric and includes a 360-degree camera, Google built-in, and more. Contact your local retailer to learn more or visit volvocars.com US. The Volvo XC40 Recharge, for every you. Some equipment optional. Google is a trademark of Google LLC. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month. 
a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at selectquote.com/slash commercials. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, Select Quote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. Select Quote. We shop, you save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Let's move on then to uh, JD Senior's pick for uh, Mr. Crystal Palace. Yeah, when you asked me to, to come on this pod and you said it was about Mr. Crystal Palace, you didn't actually say anything else. <laughs> I, like to leave it, I like to leave it open-ended. I like to let you make the do the work, basically. Yeah, well, fair enough. So I had to think about it myself as to how I would define who should be Mr. Crystal Palace. Now, I know that I've spent a lot of my career as finance director and company secretary. So I'm inclined to think about the the club, the entity, rather more than the, the players. And so I immediately started thinking, well, who set up Crystal Palace? Who saved Crystal Palace over the years? Now, in the modern era, you'd all be talking about Steve Parrish. Mm-hmm. But if you go back, uh, if you go back to 1950, you'd be thinking about Arthur Waite. And if you knew the history of what he did, you could very easily make a very good argument. He is Mr. Crystal Palace, because without him, there wouldn't be a Crystal Palace. Without Steve Parrish, there wouldn't be a Crystal Palace. But I actually 
So there, when I started thinking around it, I go right back to the very beginning. 1861? No, in this case, very beginning of the professional club. <laughs> Good point, though. I, I'll take that one. Maybe, maybe I should have gone further back. Uh, but in 1905, when the club was set up, uh, they had to set up a separate company because the Crystal Palace company were told by the FA they could not have a football club. They tried to form one in 1904. And they came back in 1905, having set up a completely separate company called, I think, Crystal Palace FC, very original. And they then had to get administrators to run that company because it could not be run by the Crystal Palace Company because the FA wouldn't have it. If you'd like a long discussion on what I think about the FA, you haven't got time. <laughs> and I'm not thinking about that incident either. I'm thinking about a thousand others. So. The, the people who were asked to start it had to start almost literally with a blank sheet of paper. And Palace must have somewhere or other had some contact with Aston Villa. And Aston Villa said, well, we've got this very good young assistant secretary. He could help you. And that's how Edmund Goodwin was asked or came to Palace, started off as the secretary, helped recruit the first uh, manager into the club to set the club up and get the club going for the 1905-06 season, I suppose it would have been, in, in the Southern League and I believe in the United League as well. And they did quite well. They, came, I think they finished second the first season. But after two seasons, for some reason, I don't, I don't honestly know the, re the reason, uh, Goodwin took over as manager as well as secretary. Mm. But that, that wasn't unusual in those days. And if, you can even go back into the 50s you'll find that the Crystal Palace manager was also the secretary. Um, I think what his name Spears was and Ronnie Rook was in the, in the late 40s. So it wasn't unusual. And in fact, because these days everyone's a football and a, and, a, and, a, and a coach or something. Well, yeah, that's basically what Goodman was as secretary. That's probably the same as director of football. But he took over as, as, as manager and gradually built the club up it was very consistently in the Southern League. And I remember the Southern League was level three in those days. It took them through, and, and by 1914, he got them into second place. Unfortunately, the Germans interfered a bit. So they were left in the situation in 1919. They had to start again, almost literally again. They didn't have all their players, and they had to search, scrap around for them. Admittedly, other clubs would have had similar situations. And he managed to get the club to second place which point the FA did something quite good. They decided to form the third division. Uh, well, they actually decided to form the third division north and south, but in the first season, they just had the third, third division, which then became the third division south the following season. And Palace, therefore, having been in the southern, it was the Southern League, which was taken almost entirely at locks, top and barrel to become the third division. And in 1920-21, thanks to Goodman as, as the manager and the players, they won it, and they went into the second division. So Palace are in the second level. Now, for a relatively new club, that wasn't bad going. Remembering that your your, your clubs in the northwest of England, uh, one or two in in London, like Arsenal, have been going around for a lot longer. So they were getting closer and closer to that level, and they survived at uh, in 
the second division for I think four years before unfortunately they they got relegated, at which point Goodman decided that he'd he'd give up being the manager and just went back to being secretary and then stayed on the secretary until I think 1932 or 33. Now that's a hell of a long time in the club, 1905 to 1933, going through one world war and helping to establish the club as an established club within league football. And if you look at the record through the 30s, we stayed consistently near the top of the the third division. Very difficult to get out of the third division in those days because it was only the top team that managed to get promotion. So finishing second on goal difference, as they did once to someone called Charlton Athletic, um, wasn't good enough. You had to actually win it. So I feel that in terms of the club and the club, the entity of the club that we support, I've put forward Edmund Goodman as my Mr Crystal Palace. Yeah, very good. The other, and of course, uh, JD Senior, the other significant thing about Goodman is that when he came from Villa, he bought a basket full of kits with him. Yeah. Yes. Which, which is why we're playing yes. Claret and Blue. So No, we, but I, did, didn't Mr Allison change the shades so it's now actually red and blue? Well, red and blue, yeah, oh, but initially... Scarlet for, and royal blue. But, but we would, you know, we, apart from the early 60s when we wore that white kit, the Claret and Blue were... Were our yes, colours because it was yeah. an old set of Villa kit, and Villa were the arguably the biggest team in Britain, if not Europe, at the time. They were a huge team, so to get Goodman to come down was a significant achievement. But I think JD's that's a really good point. I mean, yeah, we wouldn't have a club without Goodman. Basically, who stayed with it and built it, developed it, turned it into a proper professional football team. Yeah, it's a fantastic. I mean, brilliant, brilliant argument. Fantastic story of, of resilience and battling mm. against the odds, which, which is, is the Palace way. And actually, he retired in 1933, as, as JD said, and he joined us as a junior secretary from Aston Villa. So technically, a one club man again yeah. in, yes. in terms of his entire working career. Sorry, I should have put Villa. that in. Yeah, so I think we found our second one club man, and it's our you know, eighteen years as manager, so our longest serving manager, and in the current climate, I can't see that ever being beaten. Yeah, uh, Jay, Jay, sorry, Jay, can we just go back to the bit where he came from Aston Villa? Yeah, thank another, you. Another football club. <laughs> no, let, I'm going to assume that yeah, he so was apart from Aston Villa, he was a one club man. He was, he was a trainer. No, no, he was only ever manager at Crystal Palace. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Oh, well, yeah, we'll give him yeah, that. Yeah, we'll give him that. It's, <laughs> it's still an impressive. I mean, Jack, it's it's a very impressive stint, isn't it? I mean, take into account setting up of the club it's um yeah it's, it's a strong the, argument it's the purest definition of mr football club isn't yeah, it? it's um, yeah. it's 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 about as good as it gets so um yeah brilliant story brilliant argument um and i did a bit of reading last night um about mr goodman and uh during lockdown i think i don't know which one of the lockdowns it was but a group of palace fans put some money together to have his grave at beckenham cemetery tidied up because oh, somebody was walking nice. by noted that it was in pretty bad state and uh, i think around six seven hundred pounds was raised by palace fans on the bbs and the local stone mason uh tidied them up and they look uh, a million dollars now so very nice and i think um that kind of story just sums up you know as as jd says about the history of the club and going that far back and for a a set of football fans to still appreciate figures of that era um and know of figures of that era i think says a lot about the football club itself as well as the fans themselves so yeah that was a really lovely story i kind of figured uh i found last night stumbled across and um yeah great argument and um without him there is no wilfred zaha so yeah Mm. i have to have to get my uh Ducks in line for that one, I guess. He uh, he retired and ran a grocery shop in Annerley, so obviously enjoyed life in South London, stuck around. And judging by his photos on his Wikipedia page, 
he wore a, a flat hat. What do they call them? Those those uh, punting sort of hats. And it looks great. It looks great on him and the tash. So he really made that look uh, work for him. Um, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, though, JD. I bet he never had Rihanna in there, did he? <laughs> <laughs> well, latest signing. Fantastic. <laughs> you, you might have missed that on Twitter, JD. Did you, Rihanna, turn it up in Annalita Barbers last week? Did you? No. Which is why I don't get that reference at all. No, no, okay. So uh, apparently, I'm not that I'm I'm such a follower these days of uh, popular music, but uh, <laughs> apparently, a fella or the father of a child is this right, Jack? I believe so. You look like a man who's down with the kids. Um, ah, yes, that's me. So uh, I'm very, I'm very he, on top uh, of the hit parade. So yeah, he was uh, yeah, very good. He <laughs> was. Uh, he was uh, performing at the wireless festival at Crystal Palace and she came along to support him. And he was in some barbers in Annerley and she was in there with him. So there were thousands and thousands of people at the window watching him getting his hair cut with her in close attendance. So uh, That's a lovely story. It's what Edmund would have wanted. <laughs> yeah, no, well, I know. I, I'm only surprised with Edmund, JD, that Matt, from, what, from what John's just said, uh, Mr. Daly Senior, that Matt Lucas and David Wally, David Williams Williams didn't uh, use Dennis Waterman instead of Edmund Goodman for his uh, their particular feature because he wrote the thing too, sang the thing too. <laughs> yeah. uh, Kevin, Kevin, what are we thinking about Edmund Edmund Goodman as Mr. Crystal Palace? I, I, as I said, immediately JD Senior stopped talking. I mean, it's it's a it's a really good shout. It's yeah, it was the man single-handedly almost responsible for guiding the club for its first three decades, establishing him as, as a decent side. Uh, you know, I've, I think with distance, it's almost impossible for our generation to imagine what it was like at the end of the First World War to rebuild teams, with young men who had come back from the trenches who had lost people. You only have to look at the Ian King's book to see how many Palace players died in the first war, same as every every club. So that must have been a traumatic time for football. And the fact that Goodman came back and carried on where he where he left off was was fantastic. So I'm I'm rethinking my idea. Maybe it's him we should have a statue of outside the ground. But yeah. That's that the story Jack told about the grave, it is it's yeah we always say this we are a special club but that is symptomatic of the fact that for football fans to still to to do that for somebody who's been dead for for decades but who was yeah i I think i'm going to rewind and say he's my mr crystal pay if we're voting i'm voting for Edmund goodman we'll vote at the end hold your your vote for a second so he's already got two (laughs) oh he's gonna win Time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. 
Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. My brother-in-law died suddenly, and now my sister and her kids have to sell their home. That's why I told my husband we could not put off getting life insurance any longer. An agent offered us a 10-year, $500,000 policy for nearly $50 a month. Then we called SelectQuote. SelectQuote found us identical coverage for only $19 a month, a savings of $369 a year. Whether you need a $500,000 policy or a $5 million policy, SelectQuote could save you more than 50% on term life insurance. For your free quote, go to SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote.com. That's SelectQuote.com. SelectQuote. We shop. You save. Full details on example policies at SelectQuote.com slash commercials. Let me let me put you forward my vote, and then we'll come to Adam uh, at the end. I'm sure people are listening now, thinking there's a couple of names we haven't come up with yet. Uh, my vote for Crystal Palace goes to a Mister Stephen James Coppel, uh, who I think is a man that's just been associated with Palace many times. I don't think there are many managers on their Wikipedia page. When you click down under managerial career, it has Crystal Palace first spell. 84 to 893. Second spell, 95 to 6. Third spell, 97 to 8. Fourth spell, 99. The, the guy couldn't stay away from Crystal Palace. Um, he couldn't stay it, in Manchester, that's for sure. So he had to go somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's got Manchester five minutes here for his spell yeah. in Manchester. I mean, the reality I mean, is. Bristol City was much longer, JD, either, was it? True, How long yeah. was Bristol City? Bristol City was later, was it? It was in yeah. Brighton, Reading. Did very well at Reading Horse, Bristol City, Crawley, Portsmouth, Kerala Blasters. Of course, we all remember that. Uh, yes. um, <laughs> this is the Mr. Kerala Blasters podcast, JD. <laughs> Jam Shed Poor FC uh, and ATK. Uh, they're all Indian clubs in the Indian Super League. And the reality, really, of, 
of Steve Cobb. I mean, obviously a very good footballer, England international from Man City, reti- uh, Man United, sorry, retired early through a through an injury. And obviously Palace was his first job in football. You think about what he did for Palace in that first spell in terms of taking the club from a, a club that was on its knees, really, in terms of the playing squad, in terms of the uh, attendances, and turning them into a club that had finished third in the top flight and got to a cup final. I mean, that, that really is Roy of the Rovers stuff and stuff for dreams. But for me, it's almost the other spells that are as important because he, it almost became like Palace shining the Batman symbol into the sky, the Steve Koppel symbol, and calling on him when needed. And, you know, this guy would never said no to us when we needed him and in some particularly dark times, especially that final spell in 99-2000 when the club was about to go out of business. And again, he kept Palace in that league against the odds. And it feels like everything he did for Palace was against the odds. And uh, that really is, I think, a sort of staple of the club that we support. But, you know, for a man that wasn't born in Croydon, you know, comes comes from the Wirral, that didn't play for Palace, spent most of his time at Man United, I think for anyone outside the club, he is 100% associated with Crystal Palace. And for, you know, I, I, I was slightly too young to miss that first spell, really, and remember him more as the 95, 97, 99 manager. But for anyone from those early 90, 80s, 90s years. I mean, he's a complete god for the, what he did for the club. And I grew up wishing I was 10 years older and could have been around for the late 80s and the Wright and Bright and the cup final and, and all that. Because it, it sounded like such a magical time and it must have been unbelievably exciting to be a Crystal Palace fan. And, and yes, I know the football wasn't great and I've heard that it was, uh, it was rudimentary at times, but it was effective and he galvanised you know, a real ragtag squad of of players from all sorts of parts of the world and and made them proud to be South London. Uh, and I think really what the club does now in terms of that and being South London and fighting against the odds, a lot of that comes from what Coppel did for Crystal Palace. So he's my vote for Mr. Crystal Palace. Uh, Kevin, what are we thinking about that? I think uh, I, I hold him in very high regard. I, I knew Steve well. He was a really nice man. I, th- I think it's a measure of him that when we won the semi-final, the, the wonderful 4-3 day, that he disappeared into the dressing room as the final whistle went because he wanted the players to take the credit as he thought it was them that deserved it. By his own admission, they completely ignored his instructions in the second half <laughs> to try and keep it tight and see if, just wait for Liverpool to tie it. And also as well, I think the football wasn't brilliant, let's be fair, but it was the most exciting time to be a Palace fan it was yeah we were beating big teams we were scoring goals uh, six or seven of the players were from South London it was a wonderful unity around the team and the club at the time but I think you alluded to it the most important thing was the 99-2000 when he became a figure I think without him I think we probably would have possibly would have gone under he really everyone united around Steve Koppel Everyone knows that he wasn't getting paid at the time. Everyone knows that he was he was arranging accommodation for young players. He was getting players in where he could. His attitude, his leadership was was fantastic, and everyone was galvanised around him. And I think he always will be, always will be a true Palace hero. And I, I think the fact that he survived managing Brighton <laughs> to to retain his status as Palace legend is an yeah. indication of what a fantastic what a fantastic job. He did for us. And as I say, a really genuinely decent man. You're a genuinely decent chap. So I think we should be very proud of him. I think it's a really good shout, JD. Yeah, and you're right about, I think in 1999, 2000, he was the um, 
the perfect person to come back yeah. at that point and, and do the job. Uh, it's funny you say about Brighton because I'm just looking at his Wikipedia page. Apparently, he fell asleep during his job interview for the Brighton <laughs> job, and he still um, got it. And he still got it. But what a wonderful way to stick two fingers up to Brighton uh, <laughs> while uh, going for the job there. Um, Adam, I know that you um, know Steve a bit as well. What are your thoughts on him being in the running for Mr. Crystal Palace? Yeah, some I've, I've mixed feelings a bit about Steve in the sense that. You know, I've a tremendous amount of respect for him. He's a good man and what he's done. I think perhaps those that saw him, at, at, uh, you know, as I did as a sort of teenager upwards, I think what he was very good at was being able to go and find talent lower down and recognise, you know, uh, ability of, of players and build things, you know, whether they were non-league players like Andy Gray and 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 then the sort of Jeff Thomases and John Pembertons, Neil Redferns, people like this that he was signing from the Crews and the Doncasters and things like that. And he did the same thing at Reading further on. He was very, very good at identifying talent and working with it and making it work within his unit. I mean, some of the, even, as I just mentioned at Reading, he had Stephen Hunt. Stephen Hunt was in the youth team at Palace when I first started doing stuff there. And he was a substitute most weeks in our youth team. And if you ever said to me, he'd play all those Premier League games and be an international footballer, I would have been amazed. In fact, he called me a few weeks ago because he now represents a couple of goalkeepers as an agent. But I... You know, that was sort of one of Steve's real talents in finding, a bit like Dougie does now to a degree, finding this sort of talent and and honing it and making it work cohesively in a unit for him. I think, you know, from my perspective, from a football perspective, I I didn't always enjoy. I found him a little bit negative and a little bit defensive in in a way when perhaps he had talent that, he could have gone about things differently. I'm sure, you know, I have a huge regret over the two FA Cup finals, having seen the Saturday and us letting it slip. And then the way we approached the second game with Manchester United wasn't right. He then took us to, to third in the league with a very good group of players that he'd assembled for not too much money. You know, he'd even gone out on a limb and signed Nigel Martin for a million pounds to become the world's most expensive goalkeeper at the time. But that was one of the few successes Steve had when he was actually spending money. He didn't spend money particularly well when he had lots of it and would be better at working on a bit of a shoestring and going and finding the the, the uncut gems, really, I guess, in that respect. And for me, Steve's problem was that when he when things didn't go well and started to unravel, I don't think he could always pull it around again, if you like. He he sort of, it was almost like he, he could take you to the top of the hill from the bottom, but then couldn't keep you at the top of the hill once he was there. But obviously a lot of that would have been circumstantial around the club and the resources at the time and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, we, we finished third, the only player we bought in that summer was Lee Sinnott. If any of you are old enough to remember him, two of you will be at least anyway. But And 
Leeds United were fourth and signed four players and won the title the following season um, under Howard Wilkinson, the last English manager to win uh, the top league in this country in 1992, I think that was. So I think with Steve that, you know, there I, I see him in two ways. You know, that the, he's a clever guy that can build. He's very bright. He's very well respected. But I found a lot of the things that he did quite perplexing in, in equal measure. I haven't quite got over when we played Charlton on Boxing Day in administration and he played Jamie Fullerton, who, if any of you saw him, was a robust, limited midfield player that could tackle as a wide left player, which wasn't really... It would be the equivalent of playing a poor man's Luka Milivojevic as a left winger at Crystal Palace in the current... Uh, in the current era, so I'm sure Frank uh, the Ball probably considered it, Adam. So. Yeah, <laughs> you, he, he probably did. I think fair. Adam on, on the on, total football on the transfer front. To be fair, to Steve Cobb, we were dealing with Ron Oates, who yes. wasn't famous for wanting to spend money. Yeah, and it's it's it was. I think it's down to Ron Oates that that team of 1991 was was broken up rather than added to, which I think Coppel. I think if there is an exercise, Steve Coppel could get very frustrated very easily and, and lose heart at times. Like you say, some of his team selections were were baffling. But I think I think just on that one spell alone. Uh, 1999-2000 he would deserve to be in this illustrious list of perhaps, perhaps to highlight your point Kev uh, you'll remember this that uh, in the mid 90s uh, Steve and Ron would, were watching Bristol Rovers on a very regular basis Bristol Rovers had a striker called Marcus Stewart who mm. was hitting the mm. back of the net on an incredibly regular basis and did very well and some of us were quite excited at the idea that we were going to sign Marcus Stewart, but we ended up signing Gareth Taylor, his strike partner, <laughs> instead, who scored one goal, I think, for Palace. I think it was at Fort Vale or somewhere. Yeah. The goal was there. Stoke or somewhere, yeah, yeah. yeah. Stoke, it might have been Stoke. It was, I was in the yeah. right city anyway. Jack. Yeah, yeah, yeah right postcode. Like yeah, 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 yeah. And, um, and uh, there, were, there were T-shirts circulating at the time with I saw Taylor score on them, which was... Uh, <laughs> Which probably was a bit uh, a bit harsh, but uh, that He's probably been... underlined perhaps some of the transfer dealings that were hit and miss. Let's say, uh, Jack. I know you're sort of my age. Actually, no, you're not. You're much. Younger. You're about five years younger. Me, it's depressing. Um, but uh, for someone growing up as a Palace fan in the nineties, cop the the couple influence loomed large for a long time. Yeah, I felt like I lived in the house that Steve built. In the nineties, um, it was Lovely. kind of he he was manager at, at periods during my you know Palace adolescence, but I always felt because of my dad and my uncle and my older cousins talking about that uh, late eighties or mid mid to late eighties and the nineties, Palace was still in the top two divisions because of the kind of um, heritage that he'd built and the culture that he'd built. And yes, there were regrets about ninety two, ninety three, and that team with the caliber of players should never have been in a relegation battle much like the 94-95 under a different manager. But that the fact the team went down, you know, there, there are regrets about the Coppola era, no more than the cup final, you know. Um, you know, the two cup finals we've been to, we've been very close to winning both. But that one, you know, for Hughes to equalise so late and, the, you know, there's so many regrets so many people have about the final. But I feel the club, and it still is still the club, is still somewhat 
the club it is because of that period of the Coppola era. And yeah. um, for that reason, you know, I say as someone who didn't watch that team, um, but I feel that, I yeah, I, I live in the house that Steve built. And what you have to remember, Jack, as well, is that when Coppola came in, we were doldrums we'd, we'd have looked forward to doldrums we aspired to <laughs> yeah. doldrums yeah, yeah. we were coming out of the mullery years we when we were getting six and seven thousand people at home yeah yeah it was when, it was when, dire when times over. really bad times for palace yeah and and he he it took him a while but he he raised the profile of the club to a was level it, was it mullery he took over from was it directly Mallory? Yeah, I, think it, was. I yeah, think it was i think it was so. yeah. that, i mean that was i think that was, he, he went and 83 84 because I think Mallory signed George Wood, Les Strong, and John Lacey and Andy McCulloch one summer, which uh, I think was his one season in charge. And if you saw some of those, not George, who's a yeah. friend of mine, but the other, the others weren't exactly uh, inspiring. Let's no. say in Crystal yeah. Palace colours, and it was a, it was a tough time. I think, I think Steve, you know, he. I mean, I remember having lots of conversations with him at different times. I remember talking to him about he was quite sort of stuck in the way he wanted to do things. And that year you were talking about, Jack, we went down. I remember talking to him uh, about um, Andy Cole at the time. But he, he thought that Grant Watts was a better player than Andy Cole, which was... Uh, <laughs> My mind. And... Uh, <laughs> And I can say to you that that I was at Brighton versus Blackpool one night when a certain Sir Trevor Sinclair was playing for Blackpool and was absolutely exceptional, head and shoulders above every player on the pitch. And I remember seeing him the following summer and saying, like, I saw you at the game. Like, why didn't, why didn't you get Trevor Sinclair? He would have kept us in the league. And his response was he was overweight and not worth 800 grand. So, again, you know... It's just, yeah. I suppose when I've seen some of these moments, one of my best friends, uh, Chris Powell, there was, was a left back in his youth team and he gave his debut and played four times and he released Chris and he went off to uh, Aldershot and on loan then South End and, yeah. and then ended up playing for England. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And what was bizarre is Powell's second appearance for England was Anfield against Finland. And... Uh, I was dealing with the Finnish goalkeeper, Antti Niemi, at the time. I went to Anfield to see the game. And I was there at a mid... I think I went and saw the goalkeeper on the Friday night. I stayed in this hotel in Chester before I went to Anfield. And Football Focus were talking about the England team that was going to play that day before I went to Anfield. And Steve Koppel was the guest and two of the players on the team sheet, there was one called Chris Powell and another one called Andrew Cole <laughs> for England, which always made me smile at the, at the time. But it just, I don't know, Steve, Steve, I think, was, was unlucky still to go down that season. But I think the previous summer, again, we dropped from third to 13th or 14th or something, and we didn't sign a single player. Yeah. And he claimed he was very happy with the squad, which anyone that was looking from the outside would say was in decline, let's say. We had a lot of young players, obviously, that he had a lot of faith in Gareth Southgate, Simon Osborne, these kind of lads. But it was a big step, probably. And then the following year, when you're talking about Alan Smith, when he was relegated... Well, I think he was just hamstrung by the Chris Armstrong situation. Yeah. It was the team, yeah. 
the year that four teams went down, yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. and we finished fourth from bottom at Newcastle on the last day. Um, but again, Chris Armstrong, this drug, t- this recreational drug taking, unfortunately, by the time he sorted himself out and come back, I think he scored mm. in nearly every game in the last half dozen games of the S- season, City and we went, home. Th- yeah, yeah, we went down on the last day as a result. So yeah. I think Smithy who's someone I'm very fond of as well, um, you know, was probably really damaged by that uh, by that Chris Armstrong situation. That's what cost us that season. Just to, okay. um, just before we come on to your point, the, the, the England-Finland match you mentioned, uh, Final Palace reference, so that was the Finnish goal scorer that day was a certain Aki Realazzi. Yeah, yeah. Yes, wow. correct. Yeah, you're correct. Yeah, yeah. I think it was 2001. Yeah, okay. So we know we're not going a couple then, since you've all just spent the last <laughs> 10 minutes decimating my choice. But that's Thanks fine. for coming, JD. Thanks for hosting. Um, hey, it's Jesse Kelly. Ronald Reagan famously once said the nine most terrifying words in the English language are. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. Americans are losing faith in the banking system, and at the same time, the U.S. government could soon be headed toward a centralized banking system. How scary is that? How do you protect yourself as the government gets more involved in your life? For me, owning gold is one way. Having gold that I can see and touch makes me feel protected. Having a portion of your retirement in precious metals is another way to feel protected. I don't own crypto, I don't own NFTs, and I don't buy meme stocks. I don't invest in things I don't understand. If you are like me and want to feel safe, it's time to call my friends at the Oxford Gold Group. Go to www.oxfordgoldgroup.com to learn more. Again, that's www.oxfordgoldgroup.com. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at penfed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best, Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants, or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. 
But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. It's time to get your checking account to zero with free checking from PenFed. That's zero ATM fees, zero balance requirements, and zero time spent waiting for your paycheck to direct deposit because you can receive it up to two days early. Open your account with just $25 and see how big zero can be. Apply online today at PenFed.org slash free checking. Early direct deposit eligibility may vary between pay periods and timing of payers' funding. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. I do have a short list of a few names that, that we've mentioned a few of them already. But anyway, final uh, debate choice is you, Adam. Who are you going for? Well, I was torn between a couple, but as Jack went uh, went one way, it obviously helped me uh, make up my mind for the path that I would definitely follow. And that has to be uh, one Julian Maria Speroni, <laughs> uh, who even gave himself a woman's middle name just so he was so PC and correct and didn't want to offend anybody. But, uh, he, uh, he probably, for me, is the most influential player in the history of Crystal Palace. And I don't say that lightly in the sense that I think probably at the time that 2010, the 2010 administration and in previous seasons, he'd done some pretty incredible things to keep Crystal Palace's status in the second tier of, of English football. And I think had we gone down that season, there, we might not be sitting here today still talking about Crystal Palace. Who knows what would have happened with the ownership and yeah. the future of the club or... We might have been AFC Crystal Palace playing at Croydon Athletic or something like that at this point. You know, who knows? I, I think his contribution in keeping the club in the league for that in that period and then the following season with promotion um, and that was all a bit strange because the year that we made promotion, you know, again, he performed at, at an incredible level. Mm. And then, so he's, he's, he, he's, so it wasn't the following year, but so we've gone from a, oblivion essentially to a, a year where we were sort of staying up, then challenging, then promotion. And he played a huge part in all of that and getting us to the Premier League. And then the first season we were there, well, let's face it, not many people, fancied our chances of staying up. I can remember that year being haunted, getting in, in the apartment block I was living in at the time. Every day I pressed the lift and it said going down. It made me <laughs> shut up. <laughs> but, but I can tell you, 
I can tell you that the bloke was incredible in that Premier League season. And I, when I counted up at the end of the season, he was responsible for winning us something like 14 or 15 points. Mm. And without him, we'd have been relegated. He was the player of the season, I think, for the fourth time or something at that point, which yeah. might have been a record. Record still is, I think. Um, it is. Um, and I remember, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about this, but yeah, I probably will. So I can remember going and meeting Steve and Ian Moody to discuss his contracts and stuff at the end of the season. And it was pretty evident that Tony Pulis really didn't want to keep him. And in fact, I think when he won the player of the season, it sort of damaged Tony Pulis's prospects for the following season of doing what he wanted to do. And I think he gave him the award through gritted teeth, really, <laughs> when he when he won it. But I think in that sense, I don't think anybody has done more. I mean, I was responsible for bringing him in the first place. So, of course, I'm very biased. But I recommended him to Ian Dowie when he was the manager. And I remember the conversations at the time. I think we played... Jack's probably got the best memory because he's the youngest. But I think we played Millwall on Boxing Day when Ian Dowie was the manager. I think we'd beaten Reading the week before when Kit was in charge for the mm-hmm. final time. That's right. And we lost 1-0 uh, to Millwall and absolutely yeah. dominated the game and played yeah. really, really well. And by sort of January time, I think on February time, we got up to about 13th in the league. And I remember Ian Dowie pulling me at the training ground saying, tells us we need a goalkeeper for next season. He said, who should we get? So I said, um, well, it depends what league we're going to be in. And I remember <laughs> this conversation on the stairs and him laughing at me as I said it to him. And I said, he said, what do you mean? I said, well, we'll be in the Premier League next season, the way we're going. And so we did. Um, he he came to the club because um, at the time, Dundee were in administration. And one of my other friends, who was the Scotland goalkeeper at the time, Brad Douglas, who went to play for Celtic, mm-hmm. his father-in-law was the chairman and the owner of Dundee. And he said to me, do you think Palace would take him? And they negotiated a fee of half a million pounds to get him out of Dundee and help save the football club at that end at the time. And I remember saying to Ian, like, well... He's very talented, but it's a big step in the Premier League. Perhaps you should get someone more experienced and stuff. And after the first week of training, he said to me, this bloke's incredible and I'm going to play him, is what he said to me. And uh, and I thought it was quite, quite something. And obviously, there are a few moments that probably are in testament to the bloke's contribution that people still talk about him trying to dribble around Kevin Campbell in 2004 which 11 years on when he's still playing at the club and people were sort of mentioning it was probably slightly harsh, but maybe again, you know, a recognition of how few errors he actually made, you know, and you think about some of those and the period that he then had sitting there and he could have left the club many times. He didn't, he wanted to stay and fight because beneath that lovely exterior, He's got like quite a steely determination inside him, really. And I think that that's always been with him. And whenever there's a challenge, he's oh, never never afraid. He's always willing yeah. to meet it. He And his bond and his loyalty with the club, I think once he started to play, 
you know, became very strong very quickly. When the club was in administration after we stayed up, he should have gone to Queen's Park Rangers with Neil Warnock and he wouldn't go and stayed with the club during the administration and said he wouldn't leave. George Burley, after he took over, wanted to bring Richard Wright in as the goalkeeper. Oh, wow. And basically tried to push him out of the door to go to Middlesbrough, telling him he'd be much better off there and he should go. And I remember him calling me after the conversation with George Burley. He said to me, what do you think I should do? And uh, anyway, he stood, he stood up and said, no, he wasn't, and he stayed. And then, obviously, this remarkable end came full circle with him ending up, you know, back in the Premier League and retiring as a Crystal Palace, as a, establishing themselves in the Premier League. So I think from from a football side, from stopping the club going to oblivion, getting them to the Premier League and keeping them in the Premier League, I can't think of one player ever that's ever made such an influential or played such an influential part in the in the fortunes of the club. And if if you take all that to one side and just talk about the person, there isn't a player or a bloke I've ever met in football that would care more for the fans and the club and so on. And I can tell you again, and this has never been said, but Gus Poyet wanted to sign him for Brighton when Palace weren't offering him a contract. And I'll be booed and hissed forever and a day for telling you this, but I told him that he should sign for Brighton and Hove Albion because if Crystal Palace weren't coming forward with a contract, and they were, you're a professional footballer and you have to do the right thing. He said he could never join them under any circumstances. <laughs> wow. And, and he, he was such a... This kind of thing, I mean, even at the end, he was offered when he re-signed for Palace on a heavily reduced salary at the end of the period, for probably a third of the salary he was earning previously, uh, he refused to go to Birmingham City that summer, who also offered him a contract, and he should have gone and played there and probably could have played another season if he had. Again, he said, I can only ever see myself playing for Crystal Palace and I don't want to spoil it by playing for another club in this country. So he was a pretty unique yeah. person, footballer. I can remember the day that we beat Chelsea under Roy when he put him into the team. And, yeah, um, yeah, the 2-1. His name was announced and the, the roof nearly came off the place before yeah. kickoff, and certainly um, set a bit of a tempo, I think, for the afternoon's events. And afterwards, we were inside maybe for an hour, hour and a half. And when we came outside, I was giving him a lift. And there must have been five, six hundred people outside. And he stopped. The, the security or the, the steward was trying to sort of usher us through to get through, go to the car. And he flatly refused and said no. And he signed every picture and took every picture and did everything with every single. We were still there an hour and a half later doing signatures and pictures. And I was standing there like a spare dick at a wedding, carrying his bag, I think, at the time. But technical term, technical term. <laughs> yeah. it, it was, but as a, as a human being, I don't know anybody better. And as a footballer, I don't think he could have done much more or demonstrated a level of loyalty that he did for this football club. And for that reason, 
he's Mr. Crystal Palace. Yeah, great argument. <clears throat> Absolutely brilliant argument. But I, I think there's a whole generation of Palace fans. I can't think of many other players where the bond was a special yeah. between the fans and the players. And, and even now, barely a game goes by without somebody singing Jude, Jude, Jude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, I think as well, because he, I mean, he, he he didn't look the part at the start. As you say, Selzy, his first few games, he was, I mean, he was dropped when he, Karai came in for, played, for a while. Played, at the first international break, I think. He yeah. Swapped, yeah. But, he, but he, he, he stayed and he fought his way back in the team. And he was fantastic. And I think there's there's two things. The fact that I, Steve Parrish, I know, basically said well, for his testimony, we'll get you anyone. We'll get you any European club. Yeah. We'll, we'll, and he and he chose Dundee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which which I thought was a was a fantastic gesture because he said I wouldn't be here if it wasn't for Dundee. And, and what a night it was with three thousand. Well, it would have been a, it would have been four thousand, but a thousand of them got turfed off the train at Newcastle. For, <laughs> but but I, my 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 personal memory of Julian, uh, the beer festival in two thousand and fifteen. It wasn't long after my mum had died, God rest her, and I was doing something on the pitch at the start with, with Palace TV, and I brought my dad and Julian was on the pitch, I started chatting to Julian, and I introduced Julian to my dad, and my dad said, oh, you're not very big for a goalkeeper, son, are you? Which Julian laughed at, but I don't know how he knew, but Julian knew that I'd lost my mum, so he started talking to dad about uh, about that, and he was there for about half hour, 40 minutes, just chatting to a complete stranger about Dad, which was brilliant. But at the end of it, he said to me, I, I shouldn't really be here, so I'm supposed to be taking my sister to the airport. So I've got to go in about 20 minutes. She's she's already getting a bit anxious. And like three hours later, I saw him, and I went, what? what, what? He said, I had to get her a taxi. <laughs> he said, she's really cross. But he just said, I couldn't stop me. And he just, like Selji said, he just wanted to talk to everybody who wanted to talk to him, and everybody wanted to talk to him. And it's, 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 it's very rare when you get somebody... Yeah, who's that? Who's that open? Who's that open and willing and available to talk to football fans? Because for a lot of players, it's a pain in the arse having mm-hmm. to talk to fans. We, they don't, yeah, you know, they don't. They're employed by the club. They don't necessarily yeah. love it. But with Julian, you just, you just that that bond, you know, and the goal at Brighton, his celebration was just fantastic. I mean, it'll be it'll be loved for there'll be children not born now who will who will be know the name of Julian Speroni for the rest of their life because of their well parents. it's on the list it's on the list of this yeah. household for the firstborn <laughs> very good we've uh, <laughs> we've been blessed having Julian I think at the club you know even yeah. if he'd ended up being not a great goalkeeper just that that personality is rare in football and I think uh, we've been lucky to have him but to have that combination of top yeah. bloke yeah. with such quiet. a great goalkeeper and what Adam said about the steely resolve you know I haven't heard Selhurst as quiet as when he did give Kevin Campbell penalty like Selhurst was silent and you know you could tell there were people just wondering what the hell we'd just seen you know he played a few few more games than effectively was frozen out for 18 months two yeah. years yeah, yeah. and the man still ended up with 400 yeah. plus elite uh, 405 I think was it 405 just have a, just have a look yeah. at the tattoo on your first on your arm there Adam. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't do tattoos no, no tattoos <laughs> just Botox but it's no, um, <laughs> no the, the thing with Julian with you know where how many appearances would he have been, you know, before 50 plus probably yeah, if, he, yeah. if he hadn't been frozen out? And so that's, you know, when, when Adam talks about the steely resolve, that for me demonstrated that in those two years where we bought Scott Flinders, we we bought Daryl Flahav and we, there were other goalkeepers around. Ian Gabor Karai was to Ian Turner was around, you know, yeah. he was not a clear, you know, next choice. It wasn't bide your time, Julian, and your time will come again. We were looking at other goalkeepers and other goalkeepers were ahead of him, but for him to show that resolve and to come back and become the undisputed number one um, and, as Adam so eloquently put, 
see us through the bad times, but then through the good times. And he didn't just stand at the other end while players did it. You know, that save from uh, Ashley Barnes at the Amex is just as important as Will's two goals. You know, if, if Brighton score at that point, I think Brighton probably see us off two or three in that second playoff leg. So that brush onto the bar is just as important as Will yeah. with his two goals and um, and the, the Troy Deeney and extra yeah. time in, in the Wembley That's final the as well. You know, that, that guy, and I'm so glad that he... Not only got us up, but as, as Adam said, had his moment in the Premier League more than his moment. He was playing at such a high level still in the Premier League, and yeah, what what a guy and what a, what a player to have at your football club, lads. I don't know gonna... if you. I don't, sorry, Jim. I don't know if you remember Jack, but that season we were promoted. We lost to Watford on the first weekend, three yeah. two at Sellers. That's right. And he didn't have a very good day by his standards. Mm. And uh, the first goal popped off his chest as he tried to scoop it up. And they scored. I think it was the first goal. And the fans all sang his name after he dropped the clanger. And I remember him sort of putting his hand up to the Homesdale to sort of acknowledge acknowledge the fact that he made a mistake. And I think it's something I've rarely seen in football yeah. at any time in any place. You live, know, there's, live forgiveness. At best, there's a sort of awkward silence. If yeah. not, you know, you're getting a bit of stick. But yeah. I think that just kind of underlined where he was. And his last appearance was 27th January 2019. It was my 49th birthday. And he um, and he finished in real style at Sellers with that performance man of the match against yeah. Tottenham. And yeah, uh, right. it was a fitting end in that sense, I think. What a man. Guys, we're going to have to wrap up and pick who we think is Crystal Palace. Some fantastic arguments. Thank you so much. Um, I want to read my shortlist of a few names we didn't get round to that you may want to consider as well. Steve Kemba, Steve Parrish, as uh, was mentioned there earlier. Mark Bright also mentioned it earlier. Dougie Friedman, uh, back again, of course. Ron Nodes was was there and did some did some stuff. Uh, Malcolm Allison. Many people would maybe call Crystal Mr. Crystal Palace. Um, I don't right think now, we, we can't really have somebody on the list who got us relegated twice. <laughs> it would be it, typical Palace. It was it a fantastic. It was a fantastic time to be alive, and you know, but did change the, the colours. Did change the yeah, nickname. Had an impact, and yeah. for many people of that era, he you know he symbolised Crystal Palace. But anyway, I'm going to go back now in the same order and ask you for whether your vote has changed or you're sticking with your person originally, and see if we can come up with a Mister Crystal Palace. JD, so, uh, JD, before you start, I think I need to give a very honourable mention to somebody who's never been on the field for Crystal Palace, but is currently working there still after something like what's approaching 40 years. Yeah. Terry Byfield yeah, does yeah, every yeah. single yeah, job yeah. at shout. Crystal Palace yeah. imaginable. And if you're really asking me who Mr. Crystal Palace is, it's not even any of those players. Terry Byfield is really my Crystal, Mr. Crystal yeah. Palace. <laughs> That's a, such a great shout. Such a great shout. Absolutely. We've got to get him on. We, we've, we've said it before. We've got to get him on. We've got to have Terry on at one point. Let's get Terry on. He's a lovely I think guy. He went there, I think he went there, Jim, like on a YTS scheme or something and answered the phone <laughs> in his first job <laughs> in probably the mid-80s. The mid, uh, and it's 2022 and he's still there. He thought, I'll I mean, be here for a couple of years. I'll move on to somewhere else. And, I reckon uh, he's been there at least 37 years, at least. Yeah. No, he is. You're absolutely right. He is definitely worthy of the tag of Mr. Crystal Palace, indeed. Um, and yeah, we'll try and get him on at some point. Absolutely top man. Uh, Jack, after hearing, hearing all of that, does your vote change from your initial person? 
Or do you I, stick? I, no, no, I think I might change. I mean, I love Wilf and I always will. Um, Wilfred's the other name on the list. Um, but I think I'm going to give it to your dad with Edmund Goodwin. It was such a lovely argument. Yeah. And without him, we aren't talking about the other characters that we've talked about this afternoon. So, yeah, Edmund Goodman is uh, is there you go. My, my vote for Mr. Crystal Palace. Kevin, has your vote changed? It, it has. I'm, I'm with Jack. I'm, I was persuaded by JD Senior's argument, Edmund Goodman, the Terry Byfield of his of his day. Clearly, <laughs> no greater um, honour. <laughs> but I, I think JD Senior's quite right. We, how can you not give it to the man who established the club? Who, yeah. From you know, regardless of the 1861 situation, there was no Crystal Palace Football Club in 1905, and you know we're here now because of the 30 years of work. That that man did. Yeah, so yeah, I, I'm I'm going for him. Lovely stuff, JD. I'm guessing your vote changes, or did anyone else change your mind? Well, I must admit, I've got very close to changing my mind. Um, and it was, a, but I think aren't we lucky to have such a fantastic list mm. to choose from? Yeah, yeah. And that yeah, says right. an awful lot about the club that we've yeah. got such a list, and that actually the choice is, it's really very very difficult. I I very, very nearly got persuaded by Adam that uh, I stick with my original choice because of the reasons I chose. Yeah. Because I'm going back to what was the definition that we should have for a Mr. Crystal Palace. And in my case, it was the club rather than some of the fantastic players we've had. Well, well, so I probably should come to you last, actually, because that does actually now mean he has won. Um, Adam, did anyone? <laughs> this is why I'm not well, I, don't, I don't have to change my vote now because we've got a clear winner. <laughs> we're in a very, very good situation there. Seeing as I'm round at Julian's house fairly often and Marina feeds me, I probably shouldn't go too far away. And uh, and I'm supposed to be having dinner with Wilfred in the coming weeks. We keep putting it off, but. Uh, and if I'm going to sweet talk him over dinner and tell him to sign a new contract, I better not go too far away from him either. <laughs> just just playing my bit. That's all right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, lovely stuff. Um, I I was very tempted. I think I might actually change my vote to Jim Cannon actually because uh, for the one for the one club man, um, I actually and the numbers he's posted are actually ridiculous. So I think I might change my vote to Jim Cannon. Doesn't matter though because Edmund Goodman is officially FYP's. Mr. Crystal Palace. Uh, guys, thank you so much for joining me to do that. Kevin, I believe you want to do a quick shout-out at the end of this episode. Uh, yes, please. Uh, just, um, we'll give more details on the first uh, part of the season, but I was approached by a chap called Graham Orr, uh, ex-Navy, who wants to set up a fan group for uh, Palace fans who are ex-servicemen um, with the ambition that they will then become, uh, start looking out for ex-servicemen in the area because there's a very high degree of depression and homelessness uh particularly amongst ex-navy and ex-army people so uh, initially he wants to set up just a fans group so we'll give details about where he what he plans to meet so if you're a palace fan and you're an ex-army ex-navy ex-rf whatever you can come along talk football and then hopefully that will grow into something bigger for the community so that's so if you know anybody who fits that criteria let them know and tell them to the first part of the season and we'll get a, a brief chat with Graham who can give you more details about, about that so Lovely. I think we can probably put some details in the show notes as well yeah. um, so people yeah. can can go for it. Thank you very much for bringing that to our attention. Uh, guys, it's been an absolute pleasure 
going through this episode. Thank you so much. Thank you for helping us fill the void of No Palace. The first pod of the new season will be back pretty soon. So keep an eye out for that as we ramp up towards the 22-23 season. But until then, just leaves me to say thank you very much, lads, for joining us this episode. Thank you to our listeners as well. And we'll see you again very soon on the FYP podcast. Until then, take care. See you again soon. Goodbye. When it comes to business and meeting travel in Orlando, it's never business as usual. Sure, I could go on for days about all the incredible places to hold your meeting or the innovative industries that will make you feel right at home. But Dr. Michael Edwards of Ocean Insights said it best. Orlando is as much a business capital as an entertainment one. And when work wraps up for the day, the evening is just getting started. I'd love to tell you about all the 46 Michelin-rated restaurants, or the array of outstanding dishes that'll have you coming back again and again. But executive chef Guillaume Rabin of Lake Nona Wave Hotel can sum it up better than me. Orlando has a world of artisans, so you can try incredible cuisines from across the globe. It's so true, and there's so much more. So dive in and see what's happening in Orlando, where the possibilities for business travel are unbelievably real. Learn more at orlandoforbusiness.com. Podcast Network.